Well, thank you very much. What a, what a great song and a great truth. And I'm thankful to be here with you today. What an honor and a privilege it is. I um, thank God for this place. It's so special to me. I had the privilege of coming here with my wife in 1996. And it's hard to imagine that 26 years ago, we moved across the country to be here. And God knew exactly where we needed to be. And God gave us so many things, and I'll mention some of that this morning in the message. It's also great to be around some people that I've known for a very long time. I was thinking about Dr. Rasmussen. I've known him for 31 years, and uh, we met 31 years ago, and I appreciate him. And then, of course, Dr. Sisk, and um, Dr. Sisk is a great man. We've known one another for a very long time, and um, he's, he, he and, um, he's part of my wife's family, in a sense, and when they were all in Japan. And God used Dr. Sisk in a great way and did so many wonderful things there. And then Pastor Chapel, you know, sometimes I think about the fact that when we talked for the first time about coming across the country to come here to work on staff, and I thought back, and I think, you know, I really don't, I can't imagine why he hired me. And uh, I, I really didn't feel like I had anything, anything at all to offer him, especially at that point. But God knew where we needed to be. And he knew who we needed for a pastor, and, and God used it in a great way. And I'm thankful for the years that we had here, uh, from 96 to 01. I did think about a, a unique ministry that probably only a few of us in the room have ever had here on this campus, and that is the tumbleweed ministry. And uh, it, it seemed like there was, back in those days, there was not as many buildings and not as many houses. And I always thought, you know, if we, build, if we build enough buildings around here and build enough houses around here to stop some of this, you know. And, um, but it, it continues on. And what a great place. And I'm glad to be with you this morning. Would you take God's word this morning, please, and turn to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter number three. I'd like to borrow a couple of expressions that we find from the Apostle Paul. As he was writing to the, to the Romans in chapter 1, he makes some statements using the personal pronoun I. And if you study that, you come up with several things, but there's two that got my attention in particular. And while you're turning there to Ephesians 3, we'll be there in just a moment. But in Romans chapter number 1, in verse number 8, it says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. You know, I just, when I think about that verse, I think about a place like this, the Lancaster Baptist Church and West Coast Baptist College. I thank God for you all, but I also believe too that this, the faith that pastor and those here in this church has been spoken around the world. And what a tremendous thing that God has done here. It's overwhelming as we stop and think about it. I was just telling um, Brother Burt there just a few minutes ago, uh, when we came here in 96, it was just the North Auditorium and two modulars. And then to look at this whole place today and see, wow, what God has done. And I do believe it is spoken of throughout the whole world. Then Paul said this, and this is really something that I hope you can all identify with. And if not now, you will someday in the future. He says in verse number 14 of Romans 1, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians and to the wise and to the unwise. He says, I'm a debtor. 
And I want to tell you, you're looking at somebody today that's a debtor. Nobody is self-made. We are all a product of other people's investment in our life. We've all had so many people, as we look in our life and say, that person meant so much to me. They invested in my life. They influenced me. And as I think about that, I am a debtor to several people. But I'm a debtor to the pastor. I'm a debtor. I'm a debtor to Lancaster Baptist Church. And what they gave to my wife and I in just being here and being here for us and then the influence of this place and the influence of Pastor Chapel. I'm a debtor. And I got to thinking about that. How do you pay a debt like that? It's a debt. What, what can I ever do to pay back the debt? Think about it. I've given a lot of thought to that. How could I pay back the debt? Well, think about the things that you, you gained from others. You think about their influence and how it's helped you. I've come to the place where I, I believe this. The, the greatest way I can pay that debt back is to be faithful. To continue doing what I was taught. Continue doing what I know that, that works and what I know that God blesses that I've learned from other people that, that have influenced me. is just to keep doing what you were taught. You're going to glean so much from this place. There's no question about it. In fact, when I moved here in 96, there was a man back east who said to me, he said, glean everything you can while God has you there. But I've taken that approach everywhere I've been. I've tried to glean from everywhere I've been. Why? Because I know that God is going to use other people, other places, and other circumstances to help me. And I'll be a debtor for it. And so will you. I'm a debtor. And I want to be faithful with what God has given to me. I'm not doing it for man, but I certainly want to show man that their investment counted. I want them to know how much it means to me and how much I believe what they taught was right. And the way to do that is to keep on going. You know, there's a lot of people who start, but they don't finish. A lot of people show up as freshmen, but that, that number will drop in four years. But you ought to determine today that no matter what, no matter how hard life gets, you're going to keep on keeping on. When I was a college student, I remember hearing Dr. Bobby Robertson from Gospel Light Baptist Church in Walkertown, North Carolina. And he came to the school and he gave his testimony. And as a college student, I sit there in chapel and I heard about his testimony. He said by the time he was 29 years old, he had a heart attack and a nervous breakdown. He was dealing with such troubles in the church that he got to the place he had to sit, he had to, sit to preach. And he was going through all these things as a 29-year-old. And I remember that day, I remember going down to the altar and I said, Dear Lord, no matter what happens and no matter how hard it gets, don't let me quit. Amen. Keep me in this thing. Don't let me quit. No matter what, if that man can go through all of that in 29 years of life, pastoring the great church that he did and putting up with all that, and he still stuck it out. And it went on to pastor the church for 60 years became the largest country church in, the, in America. What an incredible thing. I love the church.
Do you love the church? And that's what I want to speak to you this morning on loving the church and having a revival of love for the church. See, A.W. Tozer said this. He said, there is no entertainment anywhere or by anyone that can compare with the manifest presence of God upon assembly of believers. There's nothing like it. William Gladstone said, tell me what the young men of England are doing on Sunday and I will tell you what the future of England will be. J. Edgar Hoover said, today's unchurched child is tomorrow's criminal. You see, they believed in the local church. I mean, there's nothing like it. The local church is incredible. Almost every good thing in my life has come through the local church. I heard the gospel and got saved in the local church. I was convicted about things and made changes and decisions. And I was baptized in the local church. I surrendered to the ministry in the local church. I was trained in the local church. I met my wife in the local church. We got married in the local church. We're raising our kids in the local church. I just love the church. You know, see, the church has so many significant things about it. But there's one important thing that I want us to see. Would you look there, please, in Ephesians chapter number, in Ephesians chapter number 3, and let's look at verse 20 and 21. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. I'd like for you to notice that phrase there in verse 21. Unto him be glory in the church. You want to know why we're here? To bring glory to him. We were made for his good pleasure. The local church, listen, it was his idea. It was conceived in the heart of God. It's the church. And in the church, it ought to be a place where he received glory. We did have a clock in the, in the um, back of the auditorium, up where that screen would be. And we took it down. Had a beautifully designed thing to go up there that says, Unto him be glory in the church. Because more important than what time it is, we need to focus on why we're here. It's for his glory. And by the way, we have a jealous God. And he deserves our praise. There's no doubt about it. But if we're going to be a church where he is glorified, there's certain things that are going to have to take place. Number one is don't forget who founded the church. Don't forget that he is the one who conceived it. He is the one that brought this to pass. He's the one that's using this. And by the way, none of us are smart enough to come up with something like the church. It was his idea. You see, a lot of times we seem to think that a measure of success as far as a church is, is how big it is or how great it is in size. But it's not, it's not the size of the church. It's the sort of the church. It's the kind of church that brings glory to him. And if it's going to be that kind of church, we're going to have to recognize a few things. He placed the church in the world for many reasons. And do you realize the devil's been trying to put the world in the church ever since? He's not let up. He's doing everything he can to stop the church. Praise God he didn't stop this one. He didn't stop this place from what's going on. He didn't stop the church that I'm pastoring. Listen, hey, it's been going on there for 73 years. And I'm only the fifth pastor there. I hope I'm there until the rapture. 
But the, the devil is working all the time. And we're reminded in Matthew 16 and verse 18, And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It must be the sort of church that he has glorified. It is a church that, that confronts people with the truth. That's the kind of church that brings glory to him. We're confronting people with truth. And that's what we're doing here. By the way, there is no other way of doing things other than sharing the gospel one on one. There is no substitute for soul winning. Dr. Curtis Hudson said the only alternative to soul winning is disobedience to Christ. There's no question about that. And that is one thing I can say that in my time here, we kept the main thing the main thing. And I'm so thankful for Pastor doing that. He placed that emphasis on soul winning. Why? Because a church that glorifies the Lord Jesus is going to be a church that has been conceived of God, but it's also going to be a church that confronts people with the truth. It's a place where God is speaking to hearts. And by the way, I heard it said years ago, you ought, to, you ought to make sure that you're in a place where God is speaking. And by the way, I find that some people will, will come up to me after and say, well, that was a great sermon. And then somebody come up and say, that was a great sermon. And I'm not convinced that that's what it's all about, about being a great sermon. I think it's which one spoke to your heart. I think every time God speaks to your heart, that was a great, that was a great thing. That was a great message regardless of who delivered it. If God spoke to your heart through it, that was a great message. And we ought to be in a place, and you are in a place where God is speaking. And, and there are certain, listen, there are certain reasons why people's hearts are not being spoken to. You realize you could be sitting here in this Bible college, and still you come to a place like this, and the preaching is hot, and things are going on, and you're seeing things all around you that's unbelievable, I and mean, it's marvelous in our eyes. But do you realize you can sit in a place like this and not receive Anything from God? You sit here service after service and you say, well, God hasn't spoken to me. Well, there's a couple reasons for that. One, I suppose it's possible that somebody who preaches is not filled with the Spirit of God. But it might be the fact that we didn't say yes the last time he spoke to us. And if we don't say yes to when he does speak to us, then why should he speak to us again and again? I find this, that when, when the little bit of light that we have is obeyed, he gives more light. When we obey this, he gives more. And, and, and by the way, maturity is not based on how many years you've lived. Maturity is based on how well you can handle responsibilities. And if we're going to handle the responsibilities, it's going to be, yes, Lord. And by the way, that's when he is glorified. And we're in a place where he's speaking and we're listening and we're heeding to it. And we're saying, yes, Lord, thy servant heareth. That's a place where the Spirit of God is working. And you and I, listen. Or bringing glory to him. He didn't save you and then abandon you. God has no orphans. If you're in a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching, Bible-practicing church, be thankful. And by the way, don't forget where you came from. There's some pastor back in your home time, in your hometown, he's, well, he's dealing with all kinds of things. And I can assure you, he thinks the world of you you're in a place like this. Your pastor back home is doing what God's given him to do there. He's thrilled, I'm sure, to have a place like this for you to come. But the church has been commissioned, and, and you and I need to take that very serious. I believe that what we're doing today is very serious. I, I happen to believe that the greatest classroom on this property is the, the one you're sitting in. I just happen to believe that what's being done behind this sacred desk is the most important thing going on around here. 
Because if, if you erase this, then there's no reason for the rest of it. This is where it's at right here. The church has been commissioned. And the church is not only commissioned to declare the gospel, but it's commissioned to feed the people. You know one of the greatest responsibilities I have outside of loving the people and praying for the people is to feed the people. They need to be fed. Sometimes I approach, somebody will come to me and um, they're visiting, they're, they're looking for a church. And I say, well, I'm going to tell you something. As you are searching for a church, and in some places you have many churches to choose from, but not everywhere, but when they are looking, one of the things I'll say to them when you're looking for a church is you need to be where you're getting fed. Because some of these places that call themselves churches are not feeding people. Now, I don't know how many of you have been around babies in the home. And the Lord's given us two children. And, you know, they have a way of disturbing the peace sometimes. You know, they make noises. You know, during the daytime, they make noises. In the afternoon, they make noises. I think they do at night. At least that's what I've heard. And... Uh, but usually, sometimes there's nothing wrong with the baby. They're just being selfish and they just want you and they want the attention. And I believe that's why God makes them so cute. Because then you don't mind getting up at 2 a.m. and cuddling that little one. But I do know this. There are three reasons why they do often make a lot of noise. One, they're hungry. One, they're tired. Or they're dirty. <laughs> and they begin to make a lot of noise. But you know, so do church people. They can make some unpleasant noises too. And they can have a way of disturbing the peace for the same three reasons. One, they're not fed. They're hungry. And by the way, don't blame the preacher if you're not getting fed. It's likely what I just said. You didn't say yes the last time God spoke to you. Or how much have you invested in pre preparing your own heart for the preaching? So sometimes people make a lot of fuss, make some noises because they're hungry. And some of them are just, let's face it, they're tired. Let me tell you why they're tired. Because they've been wrestling with God. And the sooner they yield to God, the sooner they get a hold of what God wants to do, and they agree to obey and do His will, they'll have some rest. And then the third thing... I think often they make noise because they're dirty. They have unconfessed sin in their life. And they often make noises. So you and I must understand we, we need to be fed. We need to rest in the Lord. We, we need to get, yield to Him. And we need to keep sin confessed. And then the last point, not only is the church to confront people with the truth and it's conceived in the heart of God, I believe the church has been given to comfort the people of God. I've heard people say, Pastor, I don't know how people get through things without the Lord. And I agree with that. And I also say sometimes I don't know how people get through without having a good church. Thank God for the church. Amen. When I was in Bible college, praying and seeking the future, I had finished in December of 1995. I was working in a small rural church in the area, not too far from the college. But I had been contacted by Pastor Chapel. 
And I talked to other men, and, but we sit down together and talked. And long story short, God led us here. And we came June of 96. We moved here across the country. Both of us, my wife and I both were from the southeast. I was from North Carolina. She was from Tennessee. She was from Knoxville. I was from Durham. And we got out here, just a young couple, fresh out of school. About four or five months after arriving, my mother calls me from North Carolina and says, your dad's got lung cancer in both lungs. And um, boy, my heart sunk. If you grew up having a, a good dad, you know what I'm saying? A dad that you loved and appreciated and to get the news and, and I know there's probably no one in the room who understands this, but we were a little homesick. We're a long way from home. We'd never been that far away. But mom giving me that news made me more so. I'm glad my parents are Christian people who understood that God's will is perfect. Because had they even said, we need you home, that would have been a hard decision. It would have been tough. Now, I was going to do God's will regardless. But it would have been a tough decision. Anyway, so that, that happened. Dad began taking treatments. And later on, the, he went into remission. But about 12 months later, after I heard about Dad having cancer, about 12 months later, my wife and I got a phone call from the doctor here in Lancaster. Said, I need to meet with you. I need to talk to you about that, that biopsy that was done. And we sit down in the office. And the, and the doctor said, he said, you, this is pathology has determined this is melanoma. And we got to figure out where it come from. And it had come from a mole that was misdiagnosed about six, seven months prior to that. It was a misdiagnosis. Had it been properly diagnosed, it would have been surgically removed and all of that and things would have possibly been different, but God's will settles everything, and I'll say that in a moment. That is not the news you want to hear. And when the doctor looks at you and says, you know, this is a beast, that's exactly what he called it. He said, this form of cancer is a beast. Well, I can tell you this. That day before we left the office, we called back to the church here. And I called pastor and got on the phone with him. He said, I want the two of you to come back to my office. As soon as you leave there, you come back and come straight to my office. I will be waiting for you here. And he was there. And we sit down in his office. And we talked. And we prayed. We talked. And we prayed. And I'm going to tell you something. God knew we needed a pastor like him. But we also needed a church like this. And God gave to us a pastor and a loving church family here, Lancaster Baptist. And I believe that they, pastor and the church, were certainly, no doubt, a great example of a pastor and a church where Jesus is glorified. 
The church continued on to support us and pray for us and card and, and notes and verbal expressions and meetings over and over with pastor and God's giving us grace and God gave us grace and God gave us peace and went through everything known to man and the cancer continued to spread. And after 18 months of battling that cancer, the Lord called her home. But I want to tell you something, we'd have never made it without pastor and a great church. You see, the church is so valuable. When you have a church that's the sort of church where He is glorified, it changes everything. This is a real church. A real pastor. And we needed that. And God gave us the grace. He gave us the peace. All the way through, I never heard her complain one time. Sure, we asked, why, God? Why does it have to be this way? But she never complained. Never. Never heard her complain. Morning, noon, and night, you wake up with it. For 18 months, you go to bed with it, you wake up in the night with it, you get up in the morning with it, but God's grace is sufficient. And God used this church to be a comfort. A year and a half later, my dad passed away, cancer. And again, what did the church here do? They were comforting. What did pastor do? He was helpful, he was comforting, he was prayerful. And, and so are all the people here. You see, when I think about a church where he is glorified, I think about a church that keeps the responsibilities out front and keeps the main thing the main thing and confronting people with the truth and, and, and all of that and, and helping people to conform to the image of Christ, but also being a comfort to the people of God. Oh, may we never get over the value of the church. We ought to have a love for it. We ought, we, listen, I've said this for years. I don't have to go to church on Sunday. I get to go to church on Sunday. I don't have to preach on Sunday. I get to preach on Sunday. I don't have to serve the Lord. I get to serve the Lord. I get to be a part of something that's so much bigger than us. Something that, listen, we're investing in eternity. What an opportunity. Our God is able. I don't know where you're at this morning in your life. But I sure hope you have an appreciation for the church. Let the church people know. When you have opportunity, I want you to do something. When you see the church members here, thank them for their sacrifice. Thank them for all that they do to make this possible. Because I'm going to tell you something. If the people of Lancaster Baptist Church didn't follow pastor's faith and leadership, this wouldn't be here. But these people have sacrificially given and they've invested in this work. Why? Because they believe it's important. They believe that churches like this, look, they need to be started all over the place. And they believe it's worth it. It, sh it would shock you at what some of the people do to give in abundance. You'd be overwhelmed by it. That the price some people have paid so that this place could be here. But what a great place. 
Oh, don't get over it. <laughs> it's wonderful. I'm a debtor, that's for sure. But so are you. Everybody in this room is a debtor to somebody or several people. But may God help us. You know, I want to be a thankful person. I'm thankful to be here today. There's no question. I've heard this statement, and you have too, that faithfulness today creates opportunities for tomorrow. But you know, I got to thinking about that over the years, and that is a true statement. Faithfulness today creates opportunities for tomorrow, but so does gratefulness. Gratefulness today creates opportunities for tomorrow. Because if we're not grateful for what God's doing in our life right now, will we ever be? I mean, I had no idea where life would lead me, but I'm going to tell you something. If I could go back to 1991 as a high school graduate going to a youth conference after my senior year of high school in 1991, I surrendered to serve the Lord, and I have no regrets. And if I could go back and do it all over again, I'd do it again. And in 1992, I surrendered to preach. I'd do it all over again. And, if it, and listen, in 1991, when it was time to go out to Bible college, I'd do it all over again. In 1996, to come here, I'd do it all over again. I have no regrets. Oh, I've got plenty before I got right with God as a teenager. But I don't have any regrets surrendering to, to do His will. But He's been doing a work in my life in me and it's been going on through the church and it's because we've been in churches that are churches that glorify Christ and may God help us